the one thing is be coachable, right? Um, I've heard this a number of occasions and I like the term. That team was completely open to being coachable by Sir Alex Ferguson, by changes, by everything. There was no boundaries in there. They, if I said, let's do naps in the afternoon, they went, yes. Nicky Buck, David Beckham, blah, blah, blah. we had no phones, no social media. If Alex said this, if Dave Fever said that, we just did it. And beyond that, you know, people like Rob Swire, the physio, we just said, just open your mind up to being coachable. Don't just get coached by anybody. Don't just take everything on board. That's the wrong thing. But with professional advice, amazing, you can make a change. And that's what the class of 92 was about. They were completely, completely in our hands. But they were coaching us as much as we were coaching them because they had the talent. And that's, I think, the difference. You know, just open your mind to being coachable, but don't get, don't get led down a garden path. Hi, my name is Andy Ramage. Welcome to my podcast, where I attempt to share the story behind the story of thought leaders, authors, athletes, everyday heroes, and alcohol-free adventurers who have found meaning and purpose through their work, while also sharing some of their greatest wisdom. Let's do this. Nick Littlehouse went from a slumberland bed sales executive to the world's first ever sleep coach with Manchester United and you've got to hear that story it's absolutely brilliant he shares it on the podcast Alex Ferguson one of the greatest managers of all time had heard of Nick's groundbreaking ideas about sleep and performance and brought him in just seeking those marginal gains that can make all the difference which clearly it did in many ways as Nick was part of the class of 92 treble winning side I mean that is just like off the charts but following the success of his sleep coaching skills in the Premiership and professional football, Nick was then asked to become the sleep coach for Team GB's cycling team, which produced one of the greatest ever cycling performances in the 2012 Olympics. But it gets better. Nick was then instrumental in the marginal gains philosophy that Sir David Browsford then brought from Team GB to Team Sky in a bid to be the first ever British team to win the Tour de France which they did, right? And if there's a symbol of this marginal gains philosophy, it was seeing the riders' mattresses, i.e. their bed mattresses, being ferried from hotel to hotel to optimise their sleep in an attempt to marginalise those gains that make all the difference. This was Nick's idea, right? And Team Sky won the Tour de France. Again, another like groundbreaking demonstration of the marginal gains philosophy and optimizing sleep. Nick's got a brilliant story with tons of wisdom to share. I think you're going to love this one. All right, let's do this. Now, before we get started, a quick word from our sponsor, Athletic Greens. Yes, we have a sponsor out the traps for the podcast and not just any sponsor. Athletic Greens is the most comprehensive daily nutritional drink I've ever tried. And it was really important to me to align with a sponsor that were aligned with my values and a product that I actually used and genuinely I've been using Athletic Greens for several years now. And I got into it when I first started to transition my diet from a very poor one to an optimal one. And it was listening to podcasts such as the Rich Roll podcast, the Tim Ferriss podcast, and later Wrong and Chatterjee's podcast, who are all partners with Athletic Greens. I thought, I've got to give this stuff a try. And it has been a game changer for me. My morning routine, as many of you will know, looks like this. I walk downstairs, fill up a large glass of water, drink it, fill up half full another glass of water, pour in a scoop of athletic greens, fill it up to the top, drink that I'm on the bike. Now, I know I might have freaked lots of athletic green users out who might be like, you can't put the athletic green scoop in the middle. It has to go in at the start or at the end. But that's the way I like to use it. And it's like my nutritional insurance, because even with an optimal diet like I have now, life gets in the way. Stresses, lack of time, travel, all of those things are there to trip us up. But I know if I've had my athletic greens in the morning, I'm like job done. And here's the thing. It is packed. Let me give you some of like the science and what's actually going on inside this drink. Each scoop's got around 75 vitamins, minerals, 
whole food sourced ingredients, multivitamins, multiminerals, probiotics, green superfood blends, and so much more. It basically fills all those nutritional gaps. That's why I use it. And this is where it gets interesting for you guys. Right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system, so they're offering my listeners a free, F-R-E-E, one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. Basically, you'll never have to buy vitamin D again. Right, so whether you're looking for peak performance, you're trying to just level up in your life, you're trying to fill those nutritional gaps, you're an alcohol-free adventurer trying to replenish your body, right, this is the drink for you. Simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Andy Ramage, right, and join the alcohol-free adventurers, athletes, health-conscious go-getters from around the world who make a daily commitment to their health. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Andy Ramage and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Welcome, Nick. Pleased to have you on the show. It's my pleasure. Yeah, I love it. And just to quickly kick it off, um, you've been a hero of mine for a long while now, since I read your book, Sleep, that changed the game for me completely, more, in more ways than one. Not only around sleep, but there's a line in there, we're going to get to it a bit later, that fundamentally changed my outlook on me as an individual, as a layperson versus the athlete, which has triggered so much of my thinking and courses that I've run and businesses that I've run all on this one line that sits in your book, which is, which is pretty powerful and I think shows the power of the book, not just only around the topic of sleep, but it's bigger than that for me. It was a real, you know, a learning opportunity to see how athletes think versus everyday people think. And for me, that was a game changer. So I thank you, my man. It's a pleasure to have you with me. So what I thought we'd do is, if it's okay, I thought we'd sort of start with your origin story in many ways, which sees you joining Slumberland and maybe your progression through Slumberland to become that sort of marketing director, as it were, and then maybe that transition into, you know, Man United. Well, it's um, it was an interesting transition, Andy. It's um, you know I loved sports as a kid, uh, like most people do, um, and I just fell into the world of furniture. Uh, Slumberland was a brand, so I suppose in those early stages, brands meant something to people, you know, and mm. and we still connect with that today, don't we? Um, the origins of the brand. But I, I think at that moment in time, it was. I had. I was just interested in paying the bills. Yeah. Um, I had a young family growing. Um, I had no interest in the sleep industry whatsoever, or Slumberland, or their raw warrants, and all that sort of stuff. I had no interest in this. Just paying the bills. Um, but when I jump into that world it started to create a, a fascination with this crazy world of sleep. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really interesting that, uh, and I think we see this in so many people's origin story, that they end up in this place of meaning and purpose without a big plan. There was no plan of, I know what I'll do for the rest of my life. I'll be, you know, find deep meaning and purpose in the world of sleep. It was just, I'm going to take a job to pay the bills. And as you know, you progressed through that company, you find yourself as the managing director of uh, marketing in Slumberland, which I think marketing director, sorry, of Slumberland, which is, you know, a big role and a big title. But then there's that point, I think you mentioned it, where you've just like, no, this is not quite for me. Just maybe talk us through that bit. Well, I suppose it's just like, um, you know, one minute I was running around on the playing field, you know, cricket, rugby, football, pole vaulting, whatever. Uh, then you suddenly find yourself with uh, a wife and a family. You suddenly find yourself in a a sleeping world with slumberland. And, and along that particular process, it was, uh, I think I have to reflect on my father, you know, who um, invented petrol injection, which back in those days was a completely engineering feat of yeah it's not like mr dyson of today it was just it, it was a new thing 
And so I always spent time knocking around the garage with my dad and making wine and making things and doing things with petrol injection and stuff like that. I had no idea what was going on. But I think that, that whole translated through my life. So, you know, when I joined Slumland, I was just a rep, you know, an uneducated, you know, five O levels type of person. And I loved the dedication to sport. You know, if you want to do it, I spent a bit of time as a golf professional where you get up at six o'clock in the morning and knock 2,000 balls down the range. Yeah. Jock, and you're still there before the members have all gone away and you get paid nothing for it and stuff like that. So I think it all translated into that. So it's a crazy period of time when I shifted from being a sales representative uh, running around in my car selling products and paying the bills. And then suddenly I found myself as the international sales and marketing director within four years. Wow. And you just go, sometimes you just sit back and just, why are they putting this so much importance on me? I now have got great yeah. strategies. I've got to create this. And I was wandering around the world and stuff like that. But the only thing that always fascinated me was in the area I was working, it was so important for me to, you know, make money and pay the bills. And all. But this sleep thing seemed to be something that just people just ignored. So I, you know, we collaborated together to create the first UK sleep council because there wasn't one, you know, taken for granted, you know all about this. It's about addictive behavior. It's about all sorts of stuff. And it's just like, wow, this is an amazing health pillar that just has no definition to it, does it? <laughs> it's just like, yeah, we just do it. And I was bringing up a family. Anybody out there who's listened to this had pet being parents and bringing up kids and I've got grandparents running around my house all night tonight and it's just a crazy set of challenges so never mind pandemics or this or that or life choices you know that's what it's all about it's just like these crazy things come up and the most important thing is how to put it in context and and that's probably you know why I sort of had a midlife crisis in the, my early 40s, Andy, as you know all about. And I just went, this is an amazing subject, but nobody cares about it. Yeah, and when you say that midlife crisis, what was that? Because I think very often that's like a call to adventure, you'd, you know, we'd almost describe it, some, a little tug to something a bit different. My mom, maybe it's a little my brother, maybe it's a bit of all sorts of things. But I just went, I can't leave this behind. Yeah. I can't just, you know, because I've created a family. Uh, I've got great kids. They've got grandkids now. They all have mortgages and families. And I can't leave all that behind. You know, in those days, it was just, there's got to be something in there. Yeah. There has to be something in this. But it wasn't, it wasn't a sort of decision to do something. Right? Yeah. So when you, when you sort of stepped out of it, you didn't have a perfect plan. No. It was just a, but probably it was, Andy. Yeah. But I didn't know about it. So yeah. I asked in my final year in my contract with someone to, you know, bring people in and I'm going off and doing my things. And then little things came in. I just thought that'd be interesting for the company. That'd be interesting with that. And I just fell into sport. And I wasn't doing it for any particular purpose. Yeah. But on reflection, I probably was. Yeah. Because inside their world of high performance and high achievers, that maybe I was in the wrong industry. So if I moved over there, that might be okay. And there was a great guy called Dave Fever who was the physiotherapist at Manchester United way back yeah. late 90s. And he just came up with these little words, which we <laughs> rehabilitation, dehabilitation. Yeah. That's not even a word, Dave. <laughs> you know, rehabilitation is very easy, but dehabilitation, what's that? 
Well, maybe we're spending all the time working with these players and athletes, rehabilitating them. But actually, when they're away from us, they're debilitating. And how did that connection come up with Man United? Um, it was simply because I, and my power as the sales and marketing director for Sunderland, which is a major brand internationally, uh, in my final year, I had the ability to write checks out. So I wrote a check out to sponsor Oldham Athletic. Brilliant. Now, Oldham Athletic was just the local club. Right? And most of the workforce in the factory were Oldham Athletic fans. Fans, yeah. You, know, you support your local club, don't you? Yeah. I thought it'd be really nice. You know, I wasn't thinking about my future or anything like that. It'd be really nice if they could see the slumberland on the front of their shirts for the, all the workforce yeah. yeah that's a great idea and so i did it but i didn't realize at the time that that was the breeding ground for the class of 92 that's right yeah the United, and treble winning signs so we had barry football club paul skulls came from oldham yeah oldham. so the sort of class of 92 so I didn't even know that. So I just put our company name on the Oldham Football Club. I didn't realise that Oldham Football Club was a breeding ground for a treble-winning Manchester United side. Yeah. And I didn't also realise that Alex Ferguson used to wander around Bury and Oldham looking for these players. Yeah. So there was a, a premiere of a film called Broken Arrow. You probably know uh, Christian. <laughs> it was a film, and they had a premiere in Bury. And all the Manchester United team were there, including Alex Ferguson. It was a premiere of a film. They did it all in Bury, a Bury football club. Um, that's another story. And, so, and I went along to it. So I was sat in a room with all these guys, and suddenly the conversation started. Yeah. So we were watching a film called Broken Arrow in, a, yeah. uh, in Barry, watching Broken Arrow, which was John Travolta. Yeah, I, know, I remember the film now, yeah. Christian, uh, not Christian Bale, it's the other guy, young guy. But anybody's watched Broken Arrow with John Travolta, it was all about planes and stuff like that. That's so right, in yeah. this cinema in Barry, and, um, and also the Neville brothers, Gary and Phil had just been to the factory. We'd done some pictures and stuff like that with them because they were playing for the England squad and they were part of that. Um, I was working with their father called Neville Neville. <laughs> Neville Neville was a great name. It was a great name. Um, and it was just a combination of weird things that just all sort of came together in that sort of north-west area. Yeah. Of old Athletic, Barry Football Club, Gary and Phil Neville, Beckham, Skulls, Nicky Butts, David May, Alex Ferguson, Dave Fever, and it just just happened. And we started. Did you send him a letter? Stuff. Yeah, I can't remember. Did you write them a letter at some point? Because I'm sure I remember either you saying it to me before that. You wasn't a big user of the technology at that stage, and uh, that you wrote a letter. I don't know if that was to Man United or, or Oldham. Yeah, because it's it, it's in the book, you know. The, yeah, the the <laughs> the sort of letter from Alex. Um, so we started having these conversations and all sorts of stuff, and uh, and at one point, it was sort of like, well, hang on a minute. So I actually wrote a letter to Alex, and he just went. Let's do something. And he gave me a quote straight away. And I can't even remember what the quote was, but I've probably got a book somewhere. But it's, um, he just said, I think this is the most amazing thing that yeah. we could do in sports is not just concentrate on things we don't know about, but concentrate on things we do know about, but maybe in a slightly different way. And so I started working with him privately. Then he, you know, day fever and stuff like that. And then his great friend was Sam Allardyce, 
Okay, yeah, there's another one that likes the sort of marginal gains approach. Yeah, yeah back then in Bolton, he was the manager of Bolton, and they were and uh, and they were just smashing it. Absolutely, yeah. they would just look at everything. And on his little journey, he was asked to be the England manager once, and he did a presentation. They just went, "Now that's too radical." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's just like what? And it was just great, and then. All that sort of journey along that road, it was just like, it was just a wonderful time when none of us knew what we were doing, Andy. None of us knew what we were doing. Neither me or Alex or Dave Fever or, <laughs> or Sam Allardyce or whatever it was, or Arsene Wenger in, you know, in the stage of that journey. None of us yeah. knew what we were doing, but we knew there was something there. Yeah, and I think that's, that is really interesting about this. And just to set the stage for people that don't know as much about football, you were probably working with, you know, set all your allegiances aside, one of the greatest football teams ever that will probably never, ever see a team like that again. It was homegrown talent, the class of 92, that went on to win the treble. You know, if you could ever be transported back in time or, or into a club or be part of a club, that's got to be it. And, and, you know, and I know you always underplay it, but... In many ways, you were still an integral, marginal gain of that whole experience. I mean, I just think it's really fortunate. And what I also want to say is the way that, and I wondered, you get this from your dad that you touched on earlier, that sort of outside the box, different approach, because there's obviously been lots of bright minds come through the system. And there's been lots of science around sleep for many, many years. But it took you and your unique background at Slumberland to see something a bit different. And then to, you know, maybe there's a bit of luck involved and timing involved to Alex Ferguson and all the connections. But together, like you said, you sort of thought, hold on, maybe there's something in this. Let's explore it. I don't know. You know, it's um, my mother and father taught me certain principles about all sorts of stuff. When I went into golf, I also had to do lots of other things, like manage members of the golf club. And they were... Yeah. Way, way above me. You know, I was just a 17-year-old, and these are CEOs of, like, Glasgow Smith Klein and stuff like that. And there was lots of stuff around that. So I used to clean the toilets. I used to make the clubs. I used to coach them. I used to... Yeah. You know, one day when I was coaching a, a particular CEO who's multimillionaire, way beyond my basis, he was trying to play golf right-handed because everybody played golf right-handed. Yeah. And I just looked at him and I, as a 17-year-old, you know, I just went, but you're left-handed. Yeah. And we shifted him from being a right-handed player to a left-handed player. And he started to be able to play the game better. Yeah. And it's sort of like the, the concept of that's how it should be but actually, if you look a little bit closer, you can switch that. And he became the best left-handed player in the club because he was the other Brilliant. one. <laughs> you know what? And, yeah. and that sort of made him feel great. And he was just like, can I do this? Yeah, of course you can play left-handed. You know? So I think it's always about that little challenge of like, well, that's the way it seems, but maybe there's another version of it. Or maybe you can find another version of it. And that's why I think probably along that whole route, I've always been driven by, you know, my father who just said that there's a different way of putting petrol into a piston. Yeah, I think that's so true. And that's what you've continually done that's, that's been overlooked I think by so many people it was sort of almost there under our nose and then you came along and, and this relationship formed with May United which ended up with you being termed a sleep coach which I definitely want to get to in a second but how was it embraced by the players in the club? Dropping back to your first point the one thing is be coachable right be mm. um, I've heard this a number of occasions and I like the term I think you like this mm. that team was completely open to being coached yeah. by Sir Alex Ferguson, by changes, by everything. There was no boundaries in there. They, if I said, let's do naps in the afternoon, they went, yes. Nicky Buck, 
David Beckham, we had no phones, no social media. If Alex said this, if Dave Fever said that, we just did it. And beyond that, you know, people like Rob Swire, the physio, we just said, just open your mind up to being coachable. Don't just get coached by anybody. Don't just take yeah. everything on board. That's the wrong thing. But with professional advice, amazing, you can make a change. And that's what the class of 92 was about. They were completely, completely in our hands. But they were coaching mm -hmm. us as much as we were coaching them because they had the talent. And that's, I think, the difference. You know, just open your mind to being coachable, but don't get, don't get led down a garden bar. Yeah, I think, you know, be selective. But when you are selective and you've got that confidence in someone's expertise, then throw yourself into it. It is amazing. It's amazing. And to see the results that they gained through that approach says it all, doesn't it? And I know you've worked with lots of clubs since who have got amazing results. And I think it is this marginal gains approach. And this leads me to a point that I mentioned at the very start of the podcast in the book where you talk about the difference between an athlete and the everyday person is that the athlete, when they're really attuned with the goal that they're trying to achieve, are willing immediately to embrace any potential way to optimize their performance they've made this like really clear crystal link with what's important to them winning gold or winning the premiership but what i found really insightful for me having worked with lots of athletes and ceos and hedge fund managers and everyday heroes and parents if you peel back the layers as to why they want to win gold or be a great parent or be a great ceo everyone ends up in the same place they end up in that same place of to be fulfilled and happy so for me that was a real penny drop moment it was like oh hold on a minute if my dreams are to be fulfilled and happy ultimately why are my dreams any less important than the premiership footballer yeah or you know the athlete trying to win gold they're not right so why are we not as everyday heroes embracing all of these initiatives such as sleep to improve our performance marginally because guess what we'll be a better parent or better at our careers it's the same stuff and that was really for me it was a revelation to hear that in the book i was like oh i get it now that's the bit that i've got to try and almost help people realize that your goals your dreams are just as important as the premiership footballers you admire or the heroes on the olympic track it's the same stuff even more important you know yeah even more important you know it's, it's a great way to put it in context, but they're even more important because every every elite athlete, every person on this planet, the key things to their success is exactly what you've just described. You know, because they all have the same challenges. You know, they go out there and perform, whether you're parents, whether you're Olympic athlete, whatever you are. Um, but to get there, you need to have these fundamental things in place. So that's why it's always been fascinating. You work in elite sport. Now I just work with people who are trying to achieve something. And and it's all simple stuff. And then what in terms of what were the sort of practical things then you were doing with the players at that time to, to again, try and optimise their sleep? Some of the fundamental things was this perception about get your eight hours and uh, yeah, if eat too late and your rooms this temperature and stuff like that all this sort of stuff but nobody listened to it so we mm. we tried to just redefine the language it's um just try to find a way of i don't know making making them listen i don't know it was just being able to move them from where they were to a different journey and it's not easy you know to make that behavioral shift is it Andy? it's not easy to make that behavioral shift. No. But you just have to try and find little things that just move things along. You know, the aggregation of marginal gains, little steps, not big steps. Not don't challenge people too much. So we started talking to the guys about sleeping in cycles. We like that. You know, get your eight hours and all that stuff. So get five cycles or four cycles. Let's break the day up a little bit because we knew about polyphasic sleeping and stuff like that. Let's break the day up like a game. You know. It's a 90-minute game. We have a little break in the minute to, you know, take some time out, re-strategize, fuel up, hydrate, then we go again. So the second half is different to the first half, or the first, because yeah. it is a game of two halves. Um, what's the objective? Well, you know, don't lose, win, draw, be your best, put your best performance in, and this is how it works. So it kind of, kind of makes sense to 
chop your day up into little segments. It kind of makes sense. And when we, when Alex Ferguson decided to double up pre-season training, which is all about, you know, if you're moving on today's world, it's about Ironmans, triathlons, pushing the boundaries. So when he just yeah. bring in double up training before pre-season, he said, what do we do with them when they're in the morning? And they said, they're not used to this. So we just thought, we'll create a little recovery current so they can have a relax and have a chill out and maybe go to sleep. But it was only because these guys were... You know, if me, if me and the squads are, we're going to do this, and we're not expecting you to go to sleep, we just want you to chill out, take some vacant mind space. Though. And then we started to see different performance factors in the afternoon with data, because in sport, you have data. Mm-hmm. And so, like, oh, David Beckham in the morning, David Beckham in the afternoon, Paul Skulls in the morning, Paul Skulls in the afternoon, with a break in the middle. Oh, what's that all about? And then Arsene Wenger comes along and starts going, we're going to wash our hands, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And when you, you know, and then you start thinking a multicultural society because Carlo Torre and <laughs> Cesc Fabregas and Terry Henry, they're all from different places. Whoa, that's a yeah. melting pot of recovery. And it just wandered along that process of just, there's something interesting in here. Because whilst we had this thing with Manchester United and Alex Ferguson double up training, Arsene Wenger was really struggling to get Cesc Fabregas to train in the afternoon as well in the morning because he's in siesta time. He's on yes, siesta mode and would go to bed later. That's what's going like. What? what? Yeah. I'm still talking to my family at twelve o'clock at night with the yeah because that's what we do. That's, that's These the wonderful you. little cultural things started to creep in. That sort of maybe that was okay with Manchester United, but it's not okay with Arsenal. Then it may not okay. You have to constantly massage it around to to deal with the complexities of human beings on this planet trying to recover and i love what you did with the i think it's controlled recovery period so that that reframe instantly takes away the stigma of it's a nap it's a technical tactical thing that i'm building into my day to optimize my performance is controlled recovery period and i also love the 90 minute cycles have been a revelation for me because I've noticed that I sleep in those 90 minute cycles. The research is there that demonstrates that and you've described it before. It's like walking down a flight of stairs, you know, and you rest at the bottom, you get that deep restorative sleep and then you come back up. So then you're in light sleep and I'll find almost on the clock, if I wake up in the night, it's almost always on one of those 90 minute cycles where I used to freak out a bit like that. Say I woke up at four o'clock in the morning, it'd be like, why have I woken up at four o'clock in the morning? Whereas I know I'm due to get up at half five. So I've just woken up. I'm at the end of a sleep cycle. I'll use the bathroom. I'll come back to sleep. And guess what? I wake up at 5.30. It's almost like on the button. You know, it's like within seconds, I can predict it. And that for me took all the pressure away about sleep and the agony of I didn't get the perfect eight hours. It's like, well, hold on. I've just in one of my sleep cycles. And if I do wake up at four and don't quite get back to sleep, I'm not worried about it because I know I'll get some controlled recovery period a bit later and catch up. Mm. And it's been, again, it's just because psychologically it just removed all of that pressure. My sleep's been optimized pretty much ever since. Yeah. It's kind of like um, worry is the biggest disruptor. When you you get to that place like you are, and so... You're able to control so many other things in your life. You know, it's. I think the recovery bit, when it gets out of control and you're under pressure, then it's really difficult to control other things, doesn't it? But when you get to that place, it's 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 an amazing place. And uh, using the natural, what are you doing every ninety minutes? Are you getting this? What happens when you wake up in the morning? That's all that sort of knowledge. There's so many people worrying when they wake up in the middle of the night and uh, they can't get back to sleep and stuff like that. And, but with a little bit of awareness that they should have learnt at school, uh, about that's absolutely natural how you work that through. So I think what you've been experiencing over that period of time is it just becomes something you stop worrying about and the internet. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's true. And I think even sleeping on my side, has been another revelation. I forgot about that because I used to sleep in my front, I sleep on my side. And then I think from a psychological standpoint, you know, 
I'm not sure if it was you that said this, but it's like if you get the conditions right, you'll be rewarded with sleep. And I think from a psychological standpoint, sleeping on your side, and you mentioned this from, you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, would allow you to protect yourself, for example, if, you know, there was a raid in the middle of the night. I know it sounds silly, but these are the things that clearly make a difference. And for me, that's also changed the game, sleeping on my side. Absolutely. Because, you know, last night I fell asleep with my grandchild called Jonah there. Um, he's three years old and he curled up in my bed on the opposite side to his dominant side. Perfectly natural. <laughs> and I spooned him, in a sense, on my opposite side to my dominant side because I'm left-handed, he's right-handed. Yeah. We just lay there and we went to sleep. And we woke up this morning and it's fine. And it's just, it's just wow. Yeah. These lovely little things. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's simple, isn't it? Yeah, making it more natural. But it's been a big old journey, and I think there's you know people struggling with all sorts of stuff. But I think if they ever listen to Andy Rama, you know, and that that journey of like sleeping positions, breaking your day up, taking the worry away, you know, they can all be elite performance. Yeah. It'll be elite performance because within that whole thing, it's it's available to everybody, isn't it, Andy? Yeah, and that's the key. And I think it's that it is, you know, and that's why I love the book because it just it's it's really sort of simple and it's almost common sense, but it's just beautifully put. And sometimes you connect with this stuff and you go, oh, that is just why didn't I do that? That makes so much sense. Why didn't I think of it in a different way? And I think that's been your superpower in many ways. And I know it's taking you on this adventure from uh, you know curb the compliments <laughs> <laughs> i like giving them out okay i like giving them out so it's sort of taking you on this journey what i'd, I'd really like to know about next actually because then it gets even more interesting for me is that we move on towards um david browsford and the cycling team and the the, the mar you know the aggregation of marginal gains can you tell us how that came about um, don't need to give away too many secrets, but um, I got contacted by a uh, cycling coach working for British Cycling called um, Mr. Sutton. And I'll leave it at that. Um, he's an Australian coach working for British Cycling. Yeah. Um, he contacted me to just like, we're on this whole new thing. And we've got the equipment, we've got the helmets, we've got this, we've got that, and else. but it's all about the human being, which is the energy thing on the bike. So we need to concentrate on that and the aggregation of marginal gains. So we had a little coffee chat uh, in Wilmslow in Cheshire, uh, in a Starbucks. And he just said, I like what you're doing. Right? And he investigated all sorts of stuff. So then I got involved with that process. Um, we would spend hours in Manchester, in uh, what's called the Velodrome in Manchester, and there'd be Dave Brailsford, pre-Sir. Uh, Bradley Wiggins was very much the forefront of that. Uh, Matt Parker, uh, Shane Sutton, who is the <laughs> Australian coach who really... Tough Aussie coach, yeah. That was the guy I met in the coffee shop. And we all came together and like, we're looking for these marginal gains. So we were washing hands. We were looking at this. We were looking at friction between the trainers and the carpets. We were looking at absolutely everything. And uh, so we started that process. But the guy who was in charge of performance marginal gains was a guy called Matt Parker. And so he had this new job of the performance marginal gain. And so we, so Shane introduced me to Matt. And we started to wander down that process. And so we started off looking at, you know, so I sort of pulled this information together to create it into a technique. So we need to, how much does the British cycling understand about circadian rhythms? Number one, KSLR. How much do they understand about the chronotypes of the teams and Dave Brailsford and everybody else? Because that has an impact. How we look about 
let's look at about our recovery and cycles on hours and stuff like that because that's really important on a Tour de France or a Grand Tour, the Volta, Giro d'Italia. Let's look at that. Let's look about pre and post. Let's look at that. That. Hang on a minute. Where's Bradley actually sleeping? In this mm. somewhere, you know, in the northwest that we have no idea about. So it started a whole conversation, and then we. We just wandered along that seven-step process of going to the individual riders' houses, talking to their partners, and then have they got children, have they not got children, uh, looking at their environments, trying to create that, bring that along into there, looking at the training schedules, looking at this. Uh, I remember sitting in the velodrome in Manchester with Jess Varnish, and uh, we were working out how we're going to wash our hands in 2009 <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're ahead of the game happy birthday you know because we don't want viruses to translate the yeah. whole process of going to olympics because it's four years fascinating and so we just went along that route and they were just so they were so open to anything and i think, yeah. remember one day andy when i went into this room and there was phil burt who was the lead physio uh, Victoria Pendleton, um, Bradley Wiggins, Dave Brailsford, Shane Sutton, Matt Parker, some of the top game changers on the planet in this room. I think Steve Peters was just wandering in the corridor. And I just said, like, well, if that's what they're sleeping on at home, let's just recreate it and put it in a bag and let's take it on tour. Mm. Opposite side to your left side, Dave goes, makes sense. Phil Burke, from a physio's point of view, goes, that makes sense for postal care and recovery. And yeah. Oh, really? And I said, yeah, well, you know, and I was just looking at some research today that came up, you know, one of the top 10 things in lockdown and everything else is fresh linen on your bed. Yeah. Fresh linen, get into it, think you're going to have a good. So, Way back then in 2008, I just said, we need to have fresh linen in these sleep kits for three weeks on the tour. And they all just sat there going, what? Yeah, I bet they did, yeah. But in their own little world with their families and their, their yeah. girlfriends. And, well, actually, you know, when I put Makes sense. in on the bed, I kind of feel like I want to get in. It's cool and it's... Yeah. Picks all the boxes. And I think I'm going to get a good night's sleep. So why do you only do that every three weeks? These are professional athletes. So we bring that from there, we bring that in there, and we just create that. And we create some linen. So I went off and designed some fabric that was able to really quick and wash and stuff. And so literally in 2012, when Bradley Wiggins became the first UK-British rider to win the Tour de France, he had fresh bed linen on his little secret every night for three weeks. And he was doing that before. So it's just, it was like in some respects, it's like this helmet has been designed by somebody who's like crazy. And the clothing and the bike and the gears, and you can pick their bikes up with two fingers, Andy. You know, so light and they're so vulnerable, Andy. And all the taxis and everything else. And it was, it was really great to be involved with just like, Simple recovery stuff that Garan Thomas, Chris Froome, the squad, Team Sky, with all the money and everything else, it was just like, wow. And they just took it off the park in 2012. Uh, yeah, they, they absolutely did. And I think one of the big symbols for me of the whole marginal gains approach and Dave Brailsford and that amazing Tour de France win. And again, this is, you know, I've been involved with two of those clubs now, not only Man United, but also um, Team Sky and whatnot, was that I think what's symbolic of that whole approach was the, the sense of carrying the mattresses from hotel to hotel. And that's what all the press picked up. And I'm sure if you asked anyone, you know, marginal gains, what's involved in that, they'd go, oh, I know, carrying the mattresses. So your actual like, involvement is the sort of almost symbolic of the whole principle, which I think is, is yeah. must be really thrilling to be a part of. But how are we going to make this happen? So on the... On the first tour, the Giro Salia, we sort of took a few toppers and a few bits, you know. And then on the second tour, the Vuelta, we took a few bits. And then we just sat down and went, 
nah, it needs to all go in a queue. Yeah. People are, and we need to put that in there. So we did the Sky Team Coach. Oh, I love it. We did everything. And then we had this little team of people. At one point, it was going to be me and Matt Parker in a transit van. <laughs> and it's just like, nah, nah, come. And, and so we, one, no, nah, let's do it for the whole period. And the whole process was just completely crazy. But it's, it's sort of, it's sort of transcended into whatever your gain is, it's there. You can find it. You don't have to hunt for it. You know, be coachable. Don't put any barriers up to being the best you possibly can. But yeah. and and engage with those little things because you know it's it's there in front of you. You know, British Cycling and Team Sky just completely wiped the place over in 2012. With everyone, have they done yeah. it since? Well, no, because things change. You know, things yeah. move on. You know, you know, Dave Browse is not involved with British Cycling and Team Sky. Now he's with Ineos and now he's with Formula One. Strangely enough, who am I working with? Yeah, so who are you working with? Let us know. Formula One. Mercedes. Oh, I love it. Formula One drivers. You move on, don't you? And certain things get left behind. And uh, it doesn't mean to say that they're not going to try and do it. But, you know, who's the top of the premiership is it manchester city consistently smashing it that blips every now and again when liverpool sort of get their game but yeah. you know there is a club that um, just seems to get it right season by season little blip and they lost to liverpool but they're back up again aren't they when you look at these things and jürgen klopp will say it pep guardiola will say it, dave brails will say it, andy ramage will say it, i will say it, is Consistency is your key. No, yeah. isn't lows. No shoving around. You can have your highs and lows in excitement and emotion and all that sort of stuff, but you need a consistent approach to your everyday, and that's why linking in with your circadian rhythms, linking in with some harmony um, about this twenty-four-seven rolling process. If you link into that. And you find your little place in that, wherever it might be. Um, that's where your success is going to come, and you can see it right in front of you, everywhere. Uh, it is a bit of a challenge, but it's there. It's for everybody, if they want it. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. As you know, and exactly that. I think you know all these little optimizations, this you know marginal gains approach to life is just as important as it is, you know, to the everyday hero as it is to. To athletes and just a couple of things you mentioned there you mentioned chronotypes mm. do you mind just talking about that because i think um the listeners might find that interesting this is like the you know whether the lark or an owl mm. is, a, is a chronotype and you, and you can actually test for that can't you if I'm, if I'm right yeah you can have a test for it but i think most people understand it but yeah as human beings on this planet um and the brain and body function hasn't changed the scaling rhythm hasn't changed and it's all about the sun and sunrise to midday to sunset and that's about a light exposure called daylight and inside that daylight it's called a, a blue light energy light which is creates two things one is serotonin to make you perfectly happy and active and everything else and without that blue light in the daylight it's about melatonin which suppresses things and sort of takes you through that process so that's our journey every 24 7. so if you take two human beings right are you a PMer or an AMer, Andy? I'm an AMer, absolutely. I'll look at your profile. So if you take an AMer and a PMer, so it's just two human beings and they're outside all the time. The sun rises, and what happens in an AMer's world is that light passes through your eyelids into a light receptor behind your eyes, into a pineal gland, which is a little gland. And that light triggers a hormone called serotonin, which makes unsuppresses everything. Bowel, bladder, appetite, mood, motivation, alert. And that's what we need in those first two phases of the day to be really active. Without that light, we produce melatonin. And melatonin just suggests suppression. It doesn't make you go to sleep. It just suppresses those things down. So that's the 24-7 process. So if you have two human beings, the reason why you can spot 
an AM or a PM or an hour alarm is when the sun starts getting close to the horizon. AM is like me and you. The light gets in the eyes, into that pineal gland, and starts whacking up serotonin. So me and you just go, woohoo, let's start. Yep, we're on it. But the genetic twist for a PM is that doesn't trigger as quickly. It's about a two-hour phase delay. So me and you are like reacting to this stuff like mad. It's not us as individuals. It's that little gland and the light receptor. But the PMA is a couple of hours later. So it's not having the same effect. And so they want to wake up later. But the bit about, so that's a genetic twist. You can't do anything about it. Mm. So that's why you have owls and larks and PMs and AMs. So once you identify that, most all of the PMs on this planet are in an AMs world. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, taking the kids to school, work, get to work, da da da, all of that stuff. So the PMs, there's probably more PMs on this planet than AMs. In in sort of my experience, it's not basically uh, any piece of research. But when you identify that, Andy, is that if you are having to start your day earlier than your normal chronotype wake time and you're dragging yourself in. it's a bit like me and you if we had training at nine o'clock at manchester united we'd be up at 6 30. we'd fuel up hydrate bowel and bladder do some mental challenges take the dog for a walk get loads of light turn up at manchester united's training ground in carrington at nine o'clock ready to go the pm yeah. is still 27 minutes past days, 30 minutes to Carrington. Trying to get up, yeah. So they'll they'll have breakfast at the club. They won't hide, yeah. they won't bow, they won't do So they're just pushing themselves, and that drags itself through the day. So I think the wonderful thing about chronotypes is that when you know Pep Guardiola's chronotype, and the coaches, and the medical staff, and the kit man, and the administrators, and all the people who book all the appointments, the players, the academy players, the female, you know, the women's team, everybody else. When you get all that together and put it together, you say, how can we collectively work together yeah. with this thing? Because if you ask them to do this, then that's not going to produce success. If you ask that group to do this, so just like the accountants, the finances, Everybody from the manager top down, if you just look at everything and to the parents of the kids in the academy, you just look at all of it and go, we can create a new environment, which is all about me and Andy do this stuff in our day that protects us, makes us feel good, makes us proactive, makes us do wonderful things. And you're also going to ask me and Andy to do stuff when we're not really... But we know things to do to protect ourselves. So we can do little things before we do that. So the whole journey is not about one standard, is it? And it's just yeah. as long as me and you know the moments we can take advantage of and also the moments we need to protect ourselves from or do other things to... Yeah. And I think that's where you end up with sort of addictive behaviour. Yeah, very, very often. I Answers for pressure... You don't have any answers for worry. You don't have any answers for stress. You don't have to. You don't have any sort of answers. But you know, you and I would always sort of go about if if you and I are going to be asked to do something very late at night, we know what to do before then to protect it. And if you and I are going to be asked to do something in the morning, we know how to optimize that. And if we've got friends and family who are not quite like us. We can give them some good advice. As how to, yeah, we're all going to go and do this, we're all going to do that, but you need to do this and I need to do that. And they're just subtle little wonderful things. The chronotype is just probably the key thing to manage your everyday. Yeah, and I think it's just really powerful around, again, the whole marginal gains approach to life, isn't it? That it's a one-size-fits-all AM world, whereas if you've got a PMO, if you could restructure their work, for example, 
so that they could come alive and take their time of a morning to, to you know be optimal. Maybe they start at 10 and finish a bit later to the AM. All these things are worth considering. And maybe as an individual, you can sort of stage the game in such a way that supports your natural chronotype. And one quick question around that, and then I, I want to talk about light and lux before we wrap it up. Can you train to be a morning person or is it you're going to be fighting against that you know, pretty much forever because it's a genetic thing? No, it's not... Um... Of course, we have to adapt. Mm. But the key thing is knowing where you are at the start of the race. So at the start of that race, if you know you're an AM and a PM, then you can go along that journey. Right? And you adopt an AM's world if you're a PM. And you can adopt a PM's world if you're an AM. Of course you can. But you just have to understand the consequences of that and how to manage that process. So it's like me and you, Andy, sort of like, you know, AMers, and suddenly we're, you know, we're surgeons and we work nights. And we go, how are we going to do that? We like to be, yeah. we want to be surgeons. We want to, but we, our schedules are going to put us under pressure. So as long as we know the sort of starting point, yeah. then we can make certain adjustments to protect that process. Right? So it's not about just changing who you are to create something else. It's, it's If I'm an AM and I'm suddenly going to be a pilot, great. Well done, you. That's a great career. And you're going to do long haul, yeah. Well, you understand that that particular career and that particular lifestyle is going to have an impact because you're an AM -er yeah. and a PM as well. If you're a night shift yeah. worker, an Amazon worker, you're, you're going to go into sport, you're going to go into this it's going to have a consequence. And that's why we always trying to factor in is to protect that process. Because if you're already struggling, you, you may be positive and proactive, but if you're always struggling at the start of the day, then your decisions and everything else that you do throughout your day are always going to be affected by that. So we always want you in a positive mindset that, I'm an AMA doing a PMA's job, but it's okay because I know what to do. Yeah, there's that awareness. And that's why I think, you know, the sort of, you know, not to touch on anything personal stuff, but that's, that's where you end up compensating because you don't know. And if you start compensating because you don't know and you wander off into a PMA into an AMA's world or an AMA into a PMA's world or suddenly you're not a parent, now you've got kids, or now you've got challenges. That's where we start to dip into things that are not good. Yeah, yeah, almost to keep ourselves stimulated, for example, because we're tired or lacking energy, I can imagine, exactly. And we can, you know, it's so these things can be at the root of... Yes, some supplement, whatever it is. Yeah. Or, or we find ourselves in dark places. So it's it's... You can adapt, but you need to know your starting Your starting point. Yeah, I think that's really key. And then as part of that, we were talking about light there. I don't know if we can talk about that briefly. I know this is, this is something that you explained to me, and it was one of them that I, I walked away from a conversation and went, that's amazing. And I downloaded this app, which was a Luxometer, because you were talking about Lux. Again, not being a light expert, but bringing your commonsensical approach to it was like, hold on, if it reads this inside and then the reading is that outside there's got to be something in it i don't know if you want to quickly speak about that because i thought it was really interesting it's just um it's about the circadian rhythms you know it's it's part of the seven ksris it's you know you can't you can't take somebody to the start line unless they know this sort of stuff and how do you, how do you take full advantage of everything you're eating everything you're drinking everything you're thinking exercise all the other health pillars if you don't understand this process so you've just got a brain with bodily functions. And this daylight, it rises and it creates 100,000 lux, which is lumens, which is where you... And inside of there, this energy wave that does the serotonin, which we've touched on. So in the first two phases of the day, if you were outside all the time, you'd be evolved with 80,000 lux. Fact. As you're wandering around outside, your average would be about 10,000 lux. Because you're looking up, looking down, it's not all getting through. And there's clouds and trees. So that's fact. So 
why don't you get a little light meter on your light, on your device and just check how much light you're exposed to. And so if you're sat in the office or wandering around the bedroom or in the kitchen or outside and so so it's just like as you said, you wander outside and there's this little light meter Oh, it's 80,000 lux. You wander inside into the kitchen, nothing more than two meters away. Now it's 2,000 lux. You wander into your office, now it's 150 lux. It sort of just fascinates you, doesn't it? That yeah. when we know that daylight, the blue light energy wave, blue light, creates serotonin, and the serotonin in our brain unsuppresses everything and makes us feel happy and vibrant absolutely makes us function right now is why wouldn't you want to find out just how much light you're exposed to because that creates all of these wonderful things it just why not easy simple and that i have to say probably with a lot of people is a massive game change yeah it certainly was for me i mean i moved i restructured everything i moved my desk close to the window, move to the window, and the office has got loads of windows. I spend a lot more time outside, even as a family and as the groups that I coach, we talk about getting your lux all the time. It's become this thing that we talk about that was there and we just never even connected the dots to think, hold on, if it's 80,000 out there and it's 150 in here, there's such a stark difference. There's got to be something in that. There's got to be something in that. And when we know those other things and it's... So it's all the time when we try, you know, get the kids outside, get outside, do your exercise outside, and get them off their tech. You know, my grandchild, who's eight, has suddenly got into, you know, Fortnite, stuck in there with the headphones on, talking to his, yeah. using technology. But it's just like, you know, it, it's easy to have a conversation with him. Like, um, the only way you can play Fortnite in a couple of hours is if we've recharged the batteries, you know, the broadband, the electricity. You know, without the electricity and the internet, you ain't playing Fortnite. And it's a bit like, if you're not outside having a game of football with me, you know, doing Wally or whatever, out there with the daylight, that's doing that. When you go back on Fortnite later, you're gonna smash it. But if you don't come outside with me and, have a, and charge your own brain up, as well as you need to charge the broad, it's just trying to have a language that's relevant. Yeah with all of us, a few minutes outside playing Wally with me, go back on Fortnite and smash it, right? And recharge the batteries and recharge this. And I think, I think the new generation, they understand about recharging. I think mm. they understand about electric and they understand about global warming. They understand about all these sort of things. And it's the right thing to do, sort of recharge, you know, recharge. You can't do that unless you do this. You can do that, but you can't do that. And I think that's a nice place to be for them, is they understand the yeah. relationship with doing things that's in their world, but also they need to have a little bit of a human relationship on the other side as well. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think the light thing is that, it is that energy source, isn't it? You know, as, as sort of almost cliche as that appears, I think it's really important. It's become really important to, to in, in the work that I do. It's like, I need to get outside. I need to spend time outside to get that, into my body it's clearly good for us we've evolved predominantly outside to the rhythm of you know the, the the rise and fall of the sun we've got to be outside a bit more and it's just to encourage people all these simple things from optimizing sleep to spending more time outside make a difference they are the marginal gains that improve us all whether we're parents or athletes or ceos or whatever it is it's all the same stuff and just to sort of round it off you know you you kept saying there about being coachable and i love that that's really important to me it's it's being willing to listen and have your beliefs you know potentially changed and embracing new concepts and ideas that makes all the difference because you just never know do you? it could be just sleeping on your side spending more time outdoors is the thing that actually unlocks you know your full potential or just that smile comes back and that bounce comes back into life or just knowing whether you're an am or a pm and using that information to adjust your setup all of these small marginal gains in aggregate to create massive wins and i think that's you know certainly what we've discovered over the length of this chat today so nick what are you up to right now and where can we find out a bit more about you i couldn't have put that better <laughs> oh, good that was a great end to that conversation well done <laughs> good so where, where can we find a bit more about you nick i think most people should just call you and uh 
<laughs> I'll tell them. That's usually how it works. Sure, you. Because yeah. I think you've been on your own little journey, haven't you, mate? And um, yeah, and it's great to be a part of your world. And uh, yeah, likewise. So successful. So you know, go to Andy Ramage uh, if you've <laughs> come to me. I'll put then sportsleepcoach.com. Uh, sportsleepcoach.com. Jump in there. You know. We've been trying to re redefine sleep for a couple of decades. We're on another journey now. So we're on a really exciting new journey. So, you know, keep an eye on sportsbeat.com. Perfect. And we might get you on again at a later date to oh, I sort of dive a bit deeper into that. Top man, Nick. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Cheers, man. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out the shorter episodes, which are clips from my daily live show, The Fun Side of the Island with Andy Ramage, that you can join every day at 7.15am BST by following at Andy Ramage Official on Facebook, Instagram, and on YouTube, search for Andy Ramage. Also, for the first time ever, I'm now training double accredited coaches in my unique coaching blueprint. Go to andyramage.com and check out courses for more information. And if you'd like to train with me on my latest online live course, The Arate Way, also head to andyramage.com courses. I'll make no secret of it. I would love to train with you. So let's make it happen. And I thank you for listening. It's deeply appreciated. The best thing you can do to show some love to the podcast is to click subscribe or follow. And don't forget the sponsors, Athletic Greens, who are giving our listeners a free year supply. Yes, free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today when you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Andy Ramage and sign up. And I love it most of all when you share the episode you enjoy on social media. You can just take a screenshot as you listen and then put it out and tag me in at Andy Ramage Official on Facebook and Insta. You're amazing. Finally, you can sign up to my free newsletter where I share exclusive posts along with things I'm enjoying such as podcasts, books, quotes, TED Talks and much more. And many of you message to say this is your favourite thing that I produce. So please check it out by going to andyramage.com and there is an option to sign up at the footer of every page. As always, a massive thank you to Matt McCormick for producing the podcast and thank you to Austin Sweetman for your digital promotions. You can find me on team at andyramage.com, at andyramageofficial on Insta and Facebook, and Andy Ramage on YouTube. See you back here soon for another episode. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs>